Hey, did you know it's almost time for Wartstock? Join us at Warner Park on Sunday, May 21st from 11 to 7. We'll have a wide variety of live music with headliner Ugochi. We'll also have food and craft vendors, an arts activity area, and plenty of space in beautiful Warner Park. Find out more at wortfm.org. I'll see you there. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound. Good afternoon, Madison. It is Tuesday, and this is a public affair. I'm your host, Ali Muldrow. You're listening to WORT 89.9 FM, Madison. And today we're going to talk a little bit about school resource officers or school-based policing. Earlier this year, the state assembly passed a set of bills that would mandate some schools to hire school resource officers and would require all schools to report incidents to the police. The bill, which the bills which were authored by Republicans, passed along party lines. Our guest today is Joanne Yankee from Disability Rights Wisconsin. She is an advocate with their schools team. DRW is one of the organizations opposed to this bill. Joanne, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on your show, Ali. Well, thank you for joining me and thank you for the work that you do. Um, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about why your organization is against school-based policing and how school-based policing has impacted students with disabilities. Yes. So students with disabilities are among the uh, among the minority groups who get the brunt of school policing um, and often in uh, often in inappropriate ways. So there's certainly an intersectionality between disability and race in this. Um, but students with disabilities, um, Wisconsin actually is second highest in the nation for the rate at which we refer students with disabilities to law enforcement. So it's something that Wisconsin, um, Wisconsin does even more too much of than, uh, than most states. Uh, students with disabilities are often um, uh, often have their behaviors misinterpreted when they are um, when they are you know what one might call with air quotes acting out um, that it doesn't have the you know it's it's not intended in the same way it's coming because of their disability uh, it's not necessarily something that they would have control over in the moment and the more you have um, law enforcement minded people. Uh, in that uh, in that scenario, the more likely that that misinterpretation is going to turn into this cascade of events that puts kids on the school to prison pipeline in utterly inappropriate ways. So, Disability Rights Wisconsin um, doesn't see or doesn't see a role for law enforcement actually stationed in the school. Certainly, there are. Uh, reasons to call law enforcement into the school, um, but uh, but when you've got uh, you know when you've got a hammer uh, right to hand, the uh, you know, situations start looking more like nails. Um, we ought to be uh, we ought to be supporting um, supporting de-escalation. We ought to be putting more support staff in schools, um, school resource officers. Um, we're just we're we're uh, we think that they shouldn't be um, part of the school personnel. What do you say to folks who think that school-based policing makes schools safer? Um, you know, do do you think that there there is a conversation we need to have about whose safety is prioritized around? You know what disruptive behavior is unsafe versus what disruptive behavior um, is 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 more an expression of of where a young person is at developmentally. How how do you get at the safety part of this conversation? Well, school safety is you know nobody's opposed to school safety, right? We all want our people to be safe in school. I don't know. Um, I think the NRA is pretty anti-school safety. Well, okay, uh, that <laughs> duly noted. <laughs> that's a that's a point. Um, I would say that um, 
you know, but in general, I mean, we want, um, we want, we want our students safe. We want our staff safe. We want everybody who comes comes into the school building to be safe. So, um, so there's always a conversation to be had about how to get there. Um, I think that there is a lot of mythology about um, you know, around law enforcement in general, and specifically around what happens when you station police in schools. You know, so you brought up the NRA. Um, you know, we started stationing police in schools um, big time after Columbine. Um, and under the mythology that having police in schools would make it less likely that another school shooting like Columbine would happen. And um, that's not the way it's worked out, is it? Um, we've had, uh, you know, since then, there's been, uh, there's, there's been a flood of federal funding, of, of funding at various levels um, to uh, put police in schools to try to, uh, uh, to, to try to make it safer uh, that there would be fewer school shootings and the, you know, that it just doesn't it just hasn't worked like that and um, and after a while you you want to stop trying the same thing again and again when it's clear that it's not working um, yes. so. I think you can look to other nations and and there are many nations on on this planet where school shootings are not a common phenomena um, and the big difference is not that those schools have more police or those countries have more police at school the big difference is that those those countries make it illegal for somebody to to buy a semi-automatic weapon that can you know shoot hundreds of bullets in mere minutes um, and so the the conversation around safety is is complicated because it's also a conversation uh, about our our culture. Why is Wisconsin more likely to call the police on students with disabilities than other states? Uh, that's a that's a good question and it's not a question I have a good answer to um, and uh, and I'm not sure that we actually you know, I, I haven't looked at the statistics to know whether we actually have more police in schools than other um, than other states. Um, but just the fact that you know the fact that it that it is happening and that we do have this that we do have this disparity, um, I think is a call for um, is a call for a more thoughtful approach to uh, what what we want for safety and how do we get there. And so from a, uh, from a de-escalation perspective, from a support perspective, you know, I'm thinking from a student mental health perspective, you know, supports that we need in school. Um, there's another place where our disparity with other nations, um, you know, around school shooting, because that often, the conversation often turns when there's been a shooting, oh, well, it was a mental health issue. You know, there's a mental illness thing happening here. And if, uh, if only that hadn't been the case this never would have happened well um so uh so do we want to take this to mean that the united states has mental illness at a rate that much higher than any other country um that's uh you know that's that's not where the that's not where the issue is um so I think that um, you know we've got this we've got this false expectation about what's going to make us safer, and um, and we need to be uh, we need to be looking at we need to be looking at other things than just you know bringing out the same old hammer again and again. Thank you so much for speaking to that, and thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Joanne, and the work that you're doing um, in advocating for young people with disabilities. I think oftentimes when we think about who is disproportionately arrested at school, the emphasis is kids of color, um, and we don't often talk about kids of color who are also disabled, who are also members of the LGBTQ community, who are also living in poverty. Um, I think you know, one of the arguments I've heard over and over again is that you want school-based policing because then officers get to know kids and they know if a kid has an IEP and they know if a kid needs special support and they know if a student is, is nonverbal. Why wouldn't you want school-based policing and these really friendly officers um, supporting students with disabilities so that if there's an incident at school, they know what to do? Mm-hmm. Right. And um, and I'm certainly not saying that there aren't friendly officers who are good at de-escalation, who, um, you know, who 
really, you know, represent the represent the best in helping students. That's, um, but the I would flip the question around to ask, what is it that police officers do that no one else can in the school? And that is not the de-escalation. That is not the relationship building. Um, it's that. Um, it's that they uh, it's that they bring the law enforcement in uh, to when there's a crime. They have handcuffs. They have weapons. Um, none of those are things that are going to um, that are going to provide the kind of relationship-based security that officer-friendly um, you know, um, is, is being promoted as doing. I mean, and that was not, you know, that's a scope creep. It's a mission creep. We originally, uh, as, I, as I was just talking, you know, we, had, uh, we, we, brought, we brought police officers into schools um, because of school shootings. So, um, so I think that it, you know, that we'll be in a much better place if we start looking at the the scope creep elements of why we had officers in school. You know, what 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 are we doing with all of that time that they're not actually preventing school shootings, right? Um, and and thinking about who could do that better. Um, what if, what if we had enough teachers so that we could have small class sizes? What if we had more counselors and cops? Because right now it's the other way around, um, and there are schools that have officers that don't have counselors. Um, so um, yeah, on the whole, I think we're just you know we're we're thinking about it the wrong way. Thank you so much for speaking to that. I completely agree. Like the 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 defining characteristic of of police officers is that they're the only people who arrest people, right? And when you put them at school, they arrest young people at school. If you want to join this conversation, the number is 608-256-2001. We would love to hear from you. Tell us if you think there should be police in schools, if you don't think there should be police in schools, if you have questions about why or why not to have police in schools. One of the things I'm really critical of in terms of these bills is that these bills mandate that schools funnel resources into police departments. And it is the same legislature that has refused to to reimburse, um, you know, special education. It's the same legislature that has for the last two years given a zero per pupil increase in the face of historic inflation. Talk to me a little bit about how we could better use resources to support disabled students instead of getting them arrested at school. So you brought up the question of special education funding. Um, and that is uh, it's an issue that's near and dear to my heart, um, both as a disability advocate, as the mom of a senior who uh, has a very complex individualized education plan. Um, we're, uh, we're barreling into budget season here. Um, yes, with we the, are. Uh, with the state budget uh, having uh, having just been taken up by the Joint Finance Committee, uh, public hearings are done. They're taking up the uh, taking up the budget to uh, uh, to hammer their way through. And um, and special education has uh, has been underfunded so drastically for so many years. Um, at one point, Wisconsin promised 60% uh, funding for, uh, for special education, and the federal government was supposed to provide the other 40%. The feds have never come close to their 40%, and Wisconsin is funding around 30% right now. And since, it, since the schools are required to meet the needs of students with disabilities, that the funding that goes to students with disabilities um, has to come from somewhere and, uh, and ends up coming from uh, local property tax levies that could otherwise serve all students. And of course, students with disabilities are, um, are, are students first. Um, and so, yeah, so this is a place where, uh, this is a place where our st state legislature really needs to step up. Um, and, uh, and, and here's a place where, uh, where the historic surplus uh, could be uh, could be funneled. I mean, we could uh, we could make a huge difference in the lives of all students across the state if we would properly fund special education. Oh, I completely agree with you. And I I think you know, can you talk a little bit about how 
how transformative it would be to have a greater investment in our students with disabilities and, and what it would mean for safety if our students with disabilities really were getting their needs met with integrity at their school. I think our schools, um, shout out to our teachers, I think they do the best that they can. But you mentioned smaller class sizes, you mentioned real things that can, uh, you know, make make young people have better outcomes within their education and feel a lot more supported day to day at school. Talk about what you think we should be investing in um, and what it means to invest in students with disabilities and what that means for safety in the overall community. So that's uh, that's a great way of uh, of sort of pulling some of these threads together. And really, you know, you pull a thread on one side and it wiggles the whole web. And so if uh, you know, so if we uh, if we were properly funding students with disabilities, um, and that and those resources were um, in place, not only so that the schools wouldn't feel that they were having to try to contain costs there as much as possible, um, but also then you would have that money in the system to uh, to be available and to free up the funds that are you know that are currently being used to uh, to try and support students with disabilities. Um, so uh, so not only then would you be uh, would you be able to to properly meet the needs of students with disabilities, but you would also be able to meet the needs more broadly. Um, you'd be able to uh, perhaps have somewhat smaller class sizes to be able to uh, to do a better job of compensating uh, compensating the the teachers and staff who are uh, who are putting so much on the line every day. Um, so. Uh, the the entire ecosystem of the school becomes safer when people have the resources to do what they need to do. Oh, I completely agree with everything you're saying. I love talking to you, Joanne. Um, <laughs> if you're just tuning in, you're listening to WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Muldrow. This is a public affair. We're talking about school-based policing and the recent uh, bills passed by our legislature to mandate police be present at schools. We're going to take our first call, but if you want to join the conversation, the number is 608-256-2001. We would love to hear from you, no matter what your opinion on this is. Evan, you are a former teacher from East High School. I graduated from East in 05. It's nice to hear from you. How are you doing today? Oh, awesome. Great, Ali. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, the conversation's been really good. Um, I just wanted to say a shout out for increasing support staff for kids with disabilities yes. um, and increasing support staff for even just the social, emotional well-being. Um, I taught, before I taught at East High School, I taught in Brooklyn, New York. I taught in Bedford-Stuyvesant. And the school that was there, in their charter, they explicitly set out to have triple the normal amount of social, emotional counseling staff. And there was a policy that if you were upset about something, no questions asked. You could just get a pass and go down and, and talk your emotional problem. And teens in general need that, and our kids with special needs, doubly so. So thanks for raising that. Um, Ali, you had a great question. Um, you said what might cause Wisconsin to have one of the highest rates uh, of yeah. sending special needs kids uh, into the – getting them in – involved with the law enforcement and that uh, I don't know if I said it the way you said it um you got the gist of it Evan you have a, do you have an answer to that question or thoughts on that question after teaching in Brooklyn New York I'll keep it short in Brooklyn in the New York City public schools I taught in four different high schools in New York City public the staff the teachers and the administration had more rules uh, and more willingness to directly talk to students who are being rowdy. And I mean, we've all been in high school. Kids that are sent down, to some extent, there's kids that are really misbehaving and being loud and left the classroom without the hall pass and, and, and won't go to class. And that's a lot of times when there's an interaction with an adult. And the New York City adults are better at talking to kids in that situation. Uh, when I moved to Wisconsin, I immediately felt this Wisconsin nice. And the adults in the Midwest are sort of nice 
and they're not sure how to talk to a kid that's like giving them the finger, that's yelling at them. Because that's how the interaction goes in the hallway to a bit, right? The kid is uh, cursing, angry. Um, The nice Wisconsin school staff, a lot of times they're not sure what to do. And then they kind of pull the nuclear option. They're like, well, I don't know what to do. I'm calling the police. Like, it's a bit like that. Oh, thank you so much for for chiming in and just talking about like Midwestern culture and like what it means to be passive and what it means to avoid conflict. Um, I've worked with teachers, though, I've got to say I've been working in education since I was 19. And I think there are so many teachers in Madison who are are right there with their students who, you know, when when a kid is having a hard time, um, they they you know, they know how to de-escalate, they know how to, to mediate conflict. Um, and and I, I'm not shocked that Wisconsin has one of the highest numbers of, of you know, police contact for students with disabilities. Um, but I think, you know, I, I, don't, I definitely never want to paint educators with one brush because I think we've got some phenomenal educators. And Evan, I'm so grateful to you for calling. And also thank you for teaching at East. Um, it is Teacher Appreciation Day. So Joanne, I said when we started the show, I was going to give you a little opportunity to talk about some, some teachers who you think are like rad and are, are doing a great job um, without police presence at their school. So yes, thank you for that. And you know, shout out to uh, shout out to teachers uh, um, across the you know ac- across the Madison district and across the state who are who are just pouring it all on for their uh, for their students. Um, and I just wanted to do a, a specific shout out to um, uh, to the team at Vell Phillips Memorial High School um, who are supporting my uh, my older daughter Miriam, who is a senior this year, um, which is mm-hmm. kind. Hard for me, hard for me to believe, um, but yeah, yeah. So, um, so Miriam's teacher, uh, Sabrina Mikey, uh, and the support staff team uh, that that works with her um, are just uh, they've they've just done a phenomenal job of um, of building relationships with Miriam uh, of. Um, of uh, working, uh, working with me, of problem solving together, and uh, and getting uh, getting my daughter the best education, uh, the best education we've got to offer. Um, and so, uh, so I just, I just deeply, deeply appreciate that. And uh, um, you know, uh, Teacher Appreciation Day is, uh, you know, shouldn't be just one day. I tell you what. Oh, I so I feel that. And I'm like, I want to give a shout out to a couple, you know, I want to give a shout out to the entire O'Keefe staff who are working with my seventh grader who is not, you know, seventh grade is not a fun year for many of us. Um, And then, you know, to the to the educators at Lowell, but particularly uh, as East teacher, Miss Walsh, we we adore you in this house. Um, We think that there should be like a statue erected in your honor. And then to, you know, my all time favorite teacher, my spouse, Sandy Wielander, who's you know, a teacher at Senate Middle School. I I think that there are so many educators who understand this issue and have seen how school-based policing plays out for kids of color, for kids with disabilities. I think that's one of the reasons um, our our local union came out and said after George Floyd, school-based policing um, is something we need to move away from as a district. We had school-based policing here in Madison in our high schools and in two of our middle schools. Um, for a really extended period of time. In our high schools, we had school-based policing for almost two decades. And in that two decades, the majority of students who were arrested at school by their ERO or SRO um, were always African-American students. African-American students have never been the majority of our, our school population, um, but they were always the majority of kids who got arrested at school. When you think about like students getting arrested at school, I think folks can think like, how big a deal is that? So you you were hauled out of your school in handcuffs, you sat in the back of the police car, and then your mom came and picked you up from the juvenile detention center. Is it really that big of a deal if a student with disabilities gets arrested for misbehaving at school? So, um, so and I think I think one you know, one could one could expand that question. You know, is it really you know, how big a deal is it that a student with disabilities or or any student, a student of color, student of disabilities, whatever, um, you know? Well, okay. So uh, so first off, 
now they've got a record. Um, you know, they have now entered the justice system um, and oftentimes for something that, you know, I'm not going to say, you know, sometimes, sometimes crime happens and, you know, and there's, uh, uh, there's, um, you know, there's, there's reasons to, there's reasons to interface with the justice system. But so often it's, um, you know, it's a, it's an incident that if it were just kept within the school and dealt with within the within the school, you know, it could easily be interpreted as something that was not criminal at all. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're, you know, so by police presence, we are uh, we are taking incidents that could be interpreted one way or the other, and we are interpreting them in the most uh, dangerous way possible, and then and then acting on that. Well, so but. I'm uh, I'm particularly thinking, and the question was about students with disabilities um, who may not understand what's going on, um, at least not not to the fullest uh, to the fullest extent, who um, who may be absolutely terrified with the not knowing what's going on, um, that you've um, that you've broken relationships in a terrible way by uh, by turning their dysregulation into a criminal matter. Um, and uh, and then also, uh, you know, then also you know, depending on whom I mean, you know, then then these intense intense feelings of guilt for something that they they really didn't have a lot of control over as it was happening. And I'll tell you what, when you when you uh, take a student with disabilities, you know, handcuff, take them, uh, you know, take them into the squad car, you know, well, if they don't have control over what's going on at that moment, and they're fighting for their life, you know, oh, no, now they've injured a police officer. Woo! Doesn't that just escalate it that much further? So anyway, yeah, yeah, all sorts of places that this can, uh, you know, that this can just make the situation so much worse than it needs to be, and sometimes permanently so. I mean, there, you know, you can easily see how pieces of this, um, pieces of this can trail somebody for, um, for years. Yeah, I, I, my sister works with folks with severe disabilities, and she, uh, in a residential setting, and she talked to me about a student who was arrested at school and was brought back to the residential setting. So he was not actually brought, um, he was not incarcerated. Um, he was, you know, technically taken home by police, but he was handcuffed. And this student relied on sign language to communicate. Um, and so the idea of having somebody handcuff you and really what they're doing is muzzling you um, isn't something that I had ever considered until she told me that story. And she was so heartbroken by the level of misunderstanding that had ultimately led to this child being handcuffed and removed from his school in front of his peers by police. When there were police in our schools, the number one reason students were arrested was for resisting arrest. The number two reason students were arrested was disorderly conduct. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to WORT 89.9 FM. Madison, I'm your host, Ali Muldrow. This is a public affair. And today we are so lucky to be joined by Joanne jo Yonke, who is, an advocate, who is an advocate with Disability Rights Wisconsin School Team. Disability Rights Wisconsin is a private non-for-profit organization that protects the rights of people with disabilities statewide. DWR is one organization who is opposed to the bill in the state legislature that would require schools with 100 calls to police during the semester to hire an armed school resource officer by the following year. If you want to join the conversation, please give us a call at 608-256-2001. Steve, Jade, and Ashley are ready to take your call. Huge shout out to our producer, Jade, who brought this show together today um, and who found Joanne for us. You're just a wonderful person to get to talk about this with. We have a, another caller on the line because this conversation is popular. Um, so I want to welcome to the show Bevan. Bevan, how are you doing today? I'm good. Can you hear me? We can hear you. Thank you so much for, for joining us on WORT 89.9 FM. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, so my opinion is that uh, the police uh, being in the schools is kind of a reflection of the bigger issues in society related to politics and just the normal, um, you know, changing of society, you know. And right now, public education and uh, academic, a lot of, especially since the pandemic, uh, you know, higher higher education is kind of in a free fall, you know. There's a lot of 
a lot of schools still recovering, you know, from from what that means. And so it's kind of a we're in a big reset. And I think many years from now, we'll look back and say, yeah, it was a big reset. or whatever. But the point is, these kids don't know about that. All they know about are they safe or not, you know, and, and all this out of. So basically, the out of school needs are not being met. You know, so that whatever anxieties exist out of school come into school. Police required fine, yes, not fine, whatever. The school's got to deal with it. But we're, the school systems today are kind of in a still the bureaucratic model of what they were in the 50s and 60s. And they're trying, and the school districts are very you know, non innovative. So our, our organization, uh, Jam with Cuba, has been working with, um, you know, schools in the gap between the school district. Uh, and the schools themselves, you know, to handle, come up with new solutions for out of school, especially, but focus on on the arts, music and dance you know, performance, which doesn't exist in the schools. Why? Well, because we're still working on the 1950s model of music and dance education. And what is that? Is was that value? So all of these connecting points come down to kids in school who are uncertain and bring their emotions out. And it, and it all connects with social emotional learning. So anyway, all of these components kind of fit the bigger picture. So, uh, so there's really no right, right or wrong. Police, yes or no. And because, because right now, in my opinion, is that we're just it's in a big reset, and hopefully, uh, it'll all come out for the better. Bevan, I feel like you're speaking straight to my heart when you started talking about the arts. And I think that there's a there's what you said in terms of whether or not it's police, yes or no. I think this is about our priorities in terms of education. Um, So would you rather have the police, you know, being funded by your school district or would you rather have school districts fund things that are known to promote academic achievement at school, things like the art? We only have so many resources, so we're going to have to make decisions about how we use them. Do you want your local sister school district funneling resources into the police department, or do you want them funneling resources into opportunities for young people to build the skills they need to be successful? Yeah, well, of course we, we want what the latter, but the school district is not doing that. Why? I don't, no one knows. And this is not just Madison school district. It's also Beloit. It's also other districts where I came from in Atlanta. And so this is the whole school district model of they, they run the show. And then the teachers and the principals are, are left basically to innovate with no support. And so mm. as a community member, it's like, it really annoys me to, to, it's like, and it's like, well, who, we can blame people and get on our high horse and, you know, point fingers and stuff. But the point is, uh, I, in a way you could say it's all, it's all part of the, it's all natural. <laughs> you know, it's like, we have to figure it out, you know? And that, and nothing better than the arts for innovation and uh, performing arts. So, and and I, the amount of funding that goes into theater, performing arts, dance, non-existent, you know. And the school, it's like, well, there's no money. Oh yes, there's money for that. There's a lot of, there's no lack of money. All right, I found that out. And so I, and so, but again, uh, that's that's where our organization come seeking to make some changes on that. Thank you so much for joining this conversation, Bevan. Joanne, I feel like when you when you think about kind of how how the students how students with disabilities um, are impacted by the kinds of programs we have at school, the kinds of inclusion we create at school, the kinds of opportunities we emphasize at school. Um, and then you think about how students with disabilities are disproportionately impacted by the by the school to prison pipeline. Do you do you struggle with you know who who is responsible ultimately? Um, I think when you when you look at our lawmakers, our policymakers, our school board, our legislature, what are the things you want our leaders to be doing um, to to stand up for students with disabilities, or what would it look like for school board members or for our legislator le- legislature uh, to to lead in the way that that centers and best serves our students with disabilities? Oh, that's a, that's a wonderful big picture dreaming question. Um, and I, uh, and I wish more people were thinking along the lines of big picture dreaming, um, because we do tend to get, uh, um, we do tend to get caught up in the, in the fight of the moment, 
right in the in the issue of the moment um and you know right now the uh right now we've got some some issues of the moment with the uh with the state budget and how much money are we willing to commit to uh um to public education and to uh, deal to the the future of our of our state and our country through children, you know, the the students coming up with and without disabilities, um, and uh, and so you know, but you know, then then we also have these then we also have these narrowly focused bills that are um, uh, that are trying to um, uh, that are trying that are that are looking at our school system from a uh, from a, a lens that uh, that wants to that wants to focus on crime and uh, and on uh, having behaviors treated as crime and calculated as crime and then bringing in the very people who uh, the very people who uh, who deal with crime and uh, and therefore more uh, more behaviors will be considered crime if uh, if these bills end up as law um, so yeah so from the from the dreaming perspective you know i think i think we need to be uh we need to be thinking about about all of the parts in the you know the, the various parts in the system where opportunities to support the people in the system to to do what's right you know it's it's going to take funding it's going and it, it's going to take you know we need uh you know we need at this point teachers and staff that we don't have we need to keep the teachers that we do have we need to be bringing in uh you know we we need to we need to be bringing in more teachers who are willing to come to this profession with the uh you know with the inclusion uh with the inclusion mindset and with the uh with the resources and the the resources and the tools to create inclusive community um and so uh you know so when the you know when the big picture uh when when i think about the big picture and the just all of the opportunities for uh for building safety and building a rich educational community through support rather than through uh you know yeah, rather than through uh, blame, shame, and criming, right? Criminalization. Um, we've, you know, we've got, we've got such a big, uh, we've got such a, uh, such a big challenge ahead of us, and uh, and so many positive ways that we could be working together, uh, working together to try and meet this. Oh, thank you so much for speaking to that. And thank you for, for emphasizing the needs of teachers, the needs around staffing. Um, I think we have this mindset in public education that we're going to do the best with what we've got. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Maldro. This is a public affair. If you want to join the conversation, the number is 608-256-2001. We would love to hear from you no matter what your stance is, whether you think we should have police in schools, whether you think we shouldn't, or anything in between. We want to hear your questions. Please make sure to join the conversation. And with that being said, I want to welcome our, our next caller, Deborah, onto the show. Deborah, you have a, a comment about Evan's previous comment. So our, our callers are talking to each other now. <laughs> yes, I do. I want to comment on the problem of talking to children, okay, that we, um, I'll give you an experience that I have. I, I worked in an elementary school, um, and I was at the time in what we would call our cool-out room. I had three little boys come in, first graders, who had been fighting on the playground. So they came in, they sat down, they needed to cool off, and eventually talk about what happened and apologize to each other. The teacher called me in the hall, told me what had happened, and they jumped up and they started fist fighting. So I turned around with, I have to admit, I have a really loud playground voice, and yelled, sit down now. Okay? They did. There was no more fighting, and we cleared, you know, we cleared up the problem. However, I was called into the principal's office and given a reprimand for raising my voice that loud. And wow. I just think that sometimes we in education are demanded to be 
the, you know, Midwest nights and we're also, you know, we're supposed to talk to kids in a certain tone of voice, you know, even when they're fist fighting, I'm sorry, it's not real. Oh, thank you so much for calling that. I do think that there's this sense that teachers are kind of this limitless punching bag. And I I thought about that in response to Evan, you know, because I've worked with teachers who when a kid swears at them, they go, oh, now we're really cooking with gas. Like now, now only my friends and family call me those kinds of names. Um, And then I've worked with teachers who are exhausted and think like, I am, I'm barely getting paid enough to, to pay my bills. Why should I have to work in an environment where I am being sworn at and things are being thrown at me? And, you know, I, I, I think that we have to have some compassion for teachers who go, I I do need additional support in my classroom. I am worried about safety. These are real concerns. Um, And and also, I think the the policing of teachers and and the conduct teachers are allowed to engage in, um, you know, is is one of the more complicated areas that we don't have a lot of conversations about. So, Deborah, thank you so much for for bringing that to the show. Joanne, what do you say uh, around, um, you know, kind of teachers who who say, hey, if I deal with this, I might have to use a really strong voice or I might have to, you know, touch a child's arm or, you know, what what about teachers who say, oh, it's a it's a liability for me to intervene? So I think that um, there's a couple of pieces in play here. And one is just uh, having sufficient support so that there is backup for, um, for situations. Um, I, would, I would say, I, I guess I would, uh, on the question of tone of voice, I think, um, I think there's a place where uh, it's going to depend a great deal on the, on the students in question. I mean, there are students who absolutely will respond well to uh, you know to a barked order and well oh, yes ma'am shut up sit down um, you know that um, however um, looking at it from a from a disabilities lens there is entirely the possibility that yelling at a student with disabilities or speaking sternly let's put it that way because yelling was not exactly what we're what was it what we were talking about but but speaking loudly and sternly to a student who is becoming more and more dysregulated um, may increase that dysregulation um, and and so it's going to it's going to depend a lot on the students and um, and and what the situation what the situation looks like so you know it's um, it's it's definitely challenging and we uh, you know we need to provide enough support for the for the people who are doing this. I I completely agree. And I do think that that support is as diverse as our students themselves, right? Different young people need different things. And sometimes uh, a stern tone of voice does does work, is effective. And sometimes you're grasping for the tools that are available to you in the moment while kids are, you know, wrestling on the floor in the peace room. Um, And so I think, you know, I think that we, we have to be able to explore best practice and also we have to be re- resourceful and understand that if, if, you know, young people are having a really hard or challenging moment, educators are, are put in, in a situation where they have to make really quick decisions about how to resolve that issue. Um, we have a caller who's not on the line but wanted to ask, what could the role of Madison's CARES program be? Um, Madison Cares is a community alternative response emergency services program. It's a mobile response team for behavioral and mental health emergencies. Joanne, do you think that kind of having a more mental health driven um, crisis intervention approach is a good alternative for young people in comparison to police? So um, that's a that's a really good question, and um, and I think you know um, I haven't thought about it in quite those terms when it comes to schools, and so it for me I think I would say that um, that the devil's in the details, or uh, or the deity is in the details, depending on which way you want to put it, um, and that. Um, 
that I am uh, I am broadly in favor of uh, I am broadly in favor of support rather than you know support rather than taking on a punitive uh, taking on a punitive approach in the first place. Um, and so I think there are probably places that this could be um, there, there could be some really creative things done with this kind of thing. I so appreciate you speaking to kind of the creativity of this. I do want to say I'm not speaking about, you know, school-based incidents from a lack of experience. I actually worked security at East High School. I worked at East High School and West High School for about seven years. Um, And I've gotten to break up fights. And it's not always like an easy thing to do. It's not always. And I think you'd be surprised at how often talking and listening to kids is effective or how often offering kids a snack and a place to, to be cared about um, can really kind of transform pretty intense moments. And I know that from my own personal experience. Talking about personal experiences, we have a caller, Ashley, who said, I have a friend who had to quit being a special education teacher because they were understaffed and she was the only one in the room and was attacked by a student. What? How do we grapple with kind of you know, who are the right people to have in the building, um, especially at a time when I think folks need help so badly, they don't care where it comes from. Um, you know, they don't care if it's a police officer, they don't care if it's uh, the art teacher from down the hall. Like if you've got if you've got a classroom of kids and there's an incident taking place where somebody's about to throw a, a chair out a window, does it really matter Um who's there as long as you have that additional adult support. Joanne, can you can you talk a little bit about, I, I mean, both what we do right now as schools are short-staffed, as you see teachers leaving education in the profession, and what would be ideal in the long run in terms of who should be intervening when, when kids need support around crisis or conflict? Mm-hmm. So a couple things come to mind. Um, one is just as you were asking, does it matter who is in the room when the student's about to throw the chair out the window? Well, one thing that uh, one thing that makes a great big difference is um, uh, is whether somebody's in the room who is going to arrest them or somebody's in the room who's going to think about you know going to think about this in terms of um, in terms of dysregulation and uh, rather than uh, um, rather than something that will shunt them into the criminal justice system. So from that perspective, it makes a huge difference. Um, uh, From the perspective of just trying to get the right support, um, you know, and you talked about, you know, sort of the bodies in the building kind of thing. um, And, yeah, there's the there's the quantity and the quality, um, and uh, and and there's a lot of funding issue at the heart of that. I guess one thing I'd point out is that uh, is that um, law enforcement officers are pretty expensive bodies to have in buildings, um, and uh, and perhaps uh, you know perhaps to to support staff. I don't know what the I don't know what the ratio is, but you know, uh, um, but. But uh, are there are there people who uh, you know are there people who would be more uh, you know better better resources and uh, and perhaps not paying that that same premium for a uh, you know for a service that is actually going to be negative in many cases. Um, of course, I don't want to say that we should be uh, uh, that we should be undercutting uh, you know undercutting the 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 pay that the folks who are coming in, you know, the folks who are actually working in these schools uh, deserve. Um, But, you know, I do think it's, I do think it's worth looking at, you know, uh, are we, are, are we getting, are we getting what we're paying for? And are we, are we spending our money on the right things? You are the person that I am most excited to talk about this with, because I've been trying to explain this to people for years. And I've struggled to explain that incarceration is not developmentally appropriate for children, right? Um, you cannot arrest somebody in, in the state of Wisconsin under the age of 10. We understand that even if an eight-year-old shoots somebody, that developmentally, they don't have enough of an ability to understand that to be held accountable for it. They shouldn't have access to a gun, right? Like, so can you talk a little bit about you know, the wide range of kind of dement- developmental realities of our students with disabilities and how interacting with law enforcement um, can be a really developmentally inappropriate thing for young people, particularly young people with disabilities? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, your your question uh, your question brings to mind one thing that we've been seeing on the schools team at Disability Rights Wisconsin um, is that we've been seeing a lot more you know, younger and younger students with disabilities. Um, uh, you know, sometimes it's police interaction. Um, sometimes it's expulsion um, for you know, and students, you know, eight, nine, ten-year-olds um, being expelled for the you know until the age of twenty-one. Uh, and these are uh, these are students with disabilities, or we wouldn't be working with them. Um, mm-hmm. So, so yeah, um, we there are there are developmentally inappropriate practices that we turn on these young folks, um, both from the police side of things, but also from the misuse of school discipline side of things as well. Thank you so much for speaking to that. Joanne, I would like talk to you forever. I cannot believe how fast this hour went. I'm so grateful to everybody who called and participated in this. My last question is, if people out there want to support your work, want to support you all in opposing school-based policing, how can people support Disability Rights Wisconsin? So Disability Rights Wisconsin, um, you know, we are a we are a 501c3. We um, we particularly appreciate um, appreciate monetary support because um, because that is funding that we can uh, funding that we can put to our um, to our system wide work, um, our policy work that we are prohibited from using our federal grant streams to do. And so from a perspective of um, actually pushing forward on our systems and policy work and uh, and around things like police and schools, um, you know, your your contributions, uh, your contributions help enable that work just very directly. Thank you so much for speaking to that. What is the fight to stop school-based policing from being something mandated by our legislature? What does that look like right now? What are you all going to do to try to to try to stop this from happening? So, um, so at this point, um, a couple of different places that things are going on here. I, one is you you had spoken to uh, to the bill AB sixty nine that was the one that specifically um, uh, that was specifically mandating police uh, police in schools after a certain number of incidents. Um, that bill is actually it does not currently have a Senate companion. It came around last session too and sort of died in the assembly. Um, and if it passed the Senate at this point, um, you know the the folks to the person to you know the office to um, to speak to is the governor's office from a veto perspective now I will also mention that there is just recently from the assembly Republicans there was a shared revenue proposal that's not even really written down yet but that had some uh, had some reporting pieces uh, of incidents and also um, also a mandate around um, school resource officers in Milwaukee public schools mm. and so so these are these are at this point, things to keep an eye on, but just be aware that they're coming and ready to uh, ready to speak out when uh, when it becomes a little bit more um, a little bit more specific. Joanne, I cannot thank you enough. Thank you, everybody who listened to a public affair today on WORT eighty nine point nine. Huge shout out to Disability Rights Wisconsin, Joanne. I feel so grateful to get to have this conversation with you. You all have a great Tuesday and happy Teacher Appreciation Day, y'all. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take it to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground, another pirate station. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard before. We bring the sound communication about.